Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply hi everybody this is the cricket badger podcast each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. First of all, thank you very much to tvsportsblog.com for their continued support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. And in this edition, we are looking back over the English summer. The test summer just gone, it was so short, it came and it went in a flash, six test matches in a bio bubble. And joining me to help me chat about the health of English test cricket and beyond is Dan Whiting. Dan, how are you? I'm all right, Badger. I'm, uh, since I've last been on the show, I'm getting older, getting greyer, getting bolder and getting fatter. But it's always a pleasure to be on the show, mate. Well, those th- you, can't, you can't be criticised for any of those, any of those at all. They all come. Getting into the, the test series um, or the two test series that we've seen, let's go right back to the start of it because I spent much of March, April and May thinking I was not going to see a single ball bowled this year, that we were probably going to be denied cricket at all. And it's of massive thanks and praise and credit to the ECB, to the West Indies, Pakistan, Ireland and Australian teams that we've actually had pretty much a full men's international season. Yeah, I think a lot of hard work's gone in by a lot of people and, uh, you know, actually sort of retaining that biosecure bubble has been a, a hell of a task. Just ask Jofra, you know, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's been a difficult task, but credit to credit to everyone who's like sort of put, you know, had their input and, uh, you know, done their little sort of piece and, and got the game on. And, uh, you know, it's been, we've seen some fantastic cricket as well. You know, it's been a, it's been a really good couple of series, I think. Also credit to the people behind the scenes that we don't see, the people that don't get the applause if there is any in, a, in an empty stadium, the admin staff, the media guys that have been bringing us the pictures and the, uh, the words and everything on the series, you know, they deserve their credit as well. But it's been strange. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think on the pitch, I don't think I don't 
think we've noticed a difference at all. I think the standard of the cricket has been fantastic. It's just certain times you just it just hits you, doesn't it? Jimmy's six hundred wickets, Zach Crawley getting to two hundred. There's nobody in the ground to give him a round of applause. It's just it's a sort of bizarre scenario, isn't it? And uh, you know you, you do hear the dressing room applause, but there's what sort of ten blokes yeah. in the dressing room applauding. It's not the same. It's not the same. And uh, but it's not as bad as other sports. I mean, I think football without fans is you know, a real issue. I think it completely detracts from the atmosphere. Whereas I think with cricket, I think there is still uh, an element of, of joy of what goes on the pitch and it doesn't lose as much as other sports. How quickly are we going to be able to repay West Indies and Pakistan for coming over? Because they didn't have to. They came from countries that at the time were safe into a COVID-19 crisis situation, really. Certainly the West Indies at the start of the, the, start of the summer or the start of the delayed summer. We need to show them a little bit of love back, don't we? The West Indies need some money. They need tours. Pakistan would love to see England in their country as well. Can we Can we get that going? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think with the West Indies, I mean, part of the sort of... When, when we tour there, I think what's really important is that, you know, we take the 10,000 fans that we take out to Barbados or whatever. So until, you know, I mean, I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the figures, but until there's sort of, you know, free travel around the world, you know, I don't know how much financial gain there would be for them to, for us to do it. There's still probably a financial gain by Sky TV covering it. And, uh, you know, both these boards have uh, had have, have their financial issues in recent years. I mean, Pakistan have only just started playing home games again after, what, 10 years, 11 years after the attack, the terrorist attack on the Sri Lankan bus. So, you know, I think it's crucial for those people that, that we actually sort of send some money into their economy. I think you're right on the Caribbean stuff because the Caribbean is very much reliant on tourism, aren't they, as well? And if you could bring over a few planes with the supporters who are going to drink the beer, stay in the hotels, eat in the local restaurants, that's a massive boost, isn't it? Pakistan may be slightly different, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, just a shadow. I think sort of, uh, you know... uh... Uh, St. Lucia and Lahore are very different in their sort of nightlife and their cultural outlook, perhaps. But, um, uh, you know, each have got their own sort of positives as countries. And, uh, you know, they're very different experiences. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think sort of if, if we can if we can reward them in some way, and I think television rights will reward them. And uh, they they should be sort of they should be applauded for their stance of, you know, coming over here this summer without a shadow. One of the things I was always conscious of during COVID, during the absence of cricket, was that once it, once cricket returned, we shouldn't absolutely cane the players. You know, not just playing every single day forever, just to try and kind of make up for lost ground. And that's one of the problems with both Pakistan and West Indies tours, isn't it? Because there aren't many windows for England to stick in a five-week tour of the West Indies or a four-week tour of Pakistan or something like that. We need to look after the players' welfare too. Yeah, well, we're, we're one of the few nations that actually play or you know, probably the only nation apart from Ireland who actually play from sort of June to September because, you know, even in the Northern Hemisphere, countries like India who are in the Northern Hemisphere, I mean, going to play in Delhi in sort of 47 degrees in July probably isn't anyone's idea of fun. But uh, every country playing sort of trying to cram in test matches from October to March or October to April 
is an issue. And, uh, you know, as you say, there is only a small window of opportunity. We said that, you know, the, the bio bubble haven't really affected the standard of play on the pitch. But I, I saw Jimmy Anderson's comments on Josh Butler. I think he, he kind of backed him up when he was interviewed too, that they both said it was very difficult when you're staying in a hotel room, you are playing cricket, you are practicing for cricket, and then you're in the hotel room on your own. Very difficult to escape from the game. And if it's not go- if it's going well for you, it's probably fantastic. If it's not going quite so well for you, and Jimmy's had his kind of little bits of dips in the, in the season, Josh Butler's been under pressure as well. They're two players that returned to their hotel room, dwelt on it, got up in the morning, opened the curtains, and the cricket ground's there. There's no escape from it, and that's difficult, isn't it, for players mentally? It must be bloody boring, mustn't it? I mean, it must be sort of, you know, just hanging around with your teammates. I mean, you know, if, if I spend a Saturday with mine, I can't wait to get back to the family on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. But uh, no, joking aside... Yeah, I mean, I think it does have an impact. I think there's been sort of two sort of the batsmen and the bowlers have been treated very differently with this biosecure bubble. Batsmen have had a settled lineup and a settled side, more or less, whereas the bowlers have had a uh, have a, had a rotation policy, haven't they? And uh, I think they've been treated very differently uh, in the way that sort of they've been managed. Um, getting back into the the rotation thing, I mean, we started off the summer with England talking about rotating the bowlers throughout. They did do that, but Stuart Broad was left out of that first Test match team. I thought at the time they were doing it exactly right. You know, they were they, all of a sudden they were asking players that hadn't played for a while to play six Test matches in seven weeks. And, and the bowlers particularly, you need to look after their fitness. And I thought they were trying at the start of it to play Jimmy in one test match, play Stuart in another one and rotate those little bits. They always had the experienced man in the side and the other one was maybe putting his feet up. Brody didn't really react very well to that, did he? And then he was back in the side again. And that seemed to kind of um, maybe just disrupt their their plans to rotate a little bit. And, and potentially, I think, there was maybe a lack of communication between the England selectors and Stuart Broad about what their plans for the summer were. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, I mean, I was surprised that they left him out at Southampton, which might have been more receptive to a bowler like Stuart Broad. And then, you know, they played Wood and Archer together there, didn't they? Whereas I thought they might have played them at Old Trafford, where there's a bit more zip in the pitch, a little bit more life in the pitch, a little bit more pace. And uh, I was surprised that they left him out. But, you know, whether it was was a stroke of genius, because he's bounced back really well, and uh, he didn't take it very well, did he? You know, and you like to see that in a player as well. You don't like to see players left out. And I, I think they have got one eye on the ashes but that's a hell of a long way away I mean we've got potentially a, a series in India whether that happens or not I don't know but uh, you know they, they've got one eye on the future and uh, I think sort of if we go to the ashes playing Broad and Anderson will be cannon fodder out there won't it because the Aussie pitches just aren't receptive so I think they're looking to sort of they've got one eye on the future by playing Wood and Archer together but it's whether Mark Wood can stay fit and whether he can get through a five test series out in Australia that's the big question I mean look at it Stuart Broad summer he's played obviously the the five test matches but 29 wickets at an average of 13.41 that is just bonkers figures isn't it in terms of test match cricket he also scored runs as well he got that 50 and he he finished up with an average uh, with a bat of 41.33 for the summer so beware the pissed off Stuart Broad really isn't it yeah, it's like your averages at club cricket, Badger, you know. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, right, it's, yeah. It's, it's, good, <laughs> it's good to see. But, I mean, he's, he's uh, 
both Jimmy and Broad get better and better as they get older, don't they? They're like a fine wine, and uh, you know they, they've. Uh, if you look at their sort of career averages and the graph of those, I mean, it just comes down and down as they get older. And uh, definitely, I mean, we spoke about potentially having one eye on the future in Test cricket, but you know, Test cricket also should be the finished article, and uh, it should be the ultimate form of the game. And and do you play your best side? in the moment right now. The Cricket Budget Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. I've got a little bit of a theory that we might not see Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson take the field together for England in Test Cricket again. I think that we, we might have seen the last of those two as a as a combination. I'm not saying that that means that Jimmy Anderson's not going to play another test match or Stuart Braw's not going to play another test match. But as you indicated just a few moments ago, playing them together in the subcontinent, if the Indian tour and the Sri Lanka tour come off, playing them together in Australia is possibly not the wisest selection move. So it leaves the chances for them to actually combine as a, as a unit, especially if England are planning for the future. Yeah, they may, we may never see them together on the pitch again. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they might go, or one of them might go, and probably Jimmy being uh, 40, I think he might go at the end of next summer. I think he uh, he's 40 years old then. I think, um, you know, it must be the the aggravation of waking up. And, and what you see actually on the pitch is such a small part of their their sort of professional life. I mean, it's all the training and all the, the prep that goes into it that's like the real key. And uh, what you actually see on the, on the pitch is just a very small percentage of what they have to go through as a professional. And I think of 40... I don't think, um, you know, he might fancy a series out in Australia. Um, he probably does because he seems up for anything, Jimmy, and, I, you know, I love him. But it wouldn't surprise me if he went at the end of next summer. And if the bio bubbles continue and there's no sign of a vaccine for COVID and, and all the rest of it, so we're going to have to, you know, suppose that they're going to have to continue in the bio bubbles for tours and for the future series. It's not the same, is it? I mean, we've seen Pakistan, we've seen the West Indies come over to the to England this summer. And for the likes of Pakistan, where they might have relatives in this country, they might want to go out and have a coffee, they might want to go and see, do some sightseeing. All of that's denied them. And if you're an English tourist in Australia, it's going to be a very different tour if you're stuck in the same hotel and not able to go anywhere, isn't it? Although you want to play test cricket, there's a lot of sacrifices involved, even more so, you know, in, in the current climate. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, they've got real issues out there in Melbourne. Melbourne's like, I've got a lot of friends out in Melbourne and they're probably locked down at the moment. They can't even leave their house. You know, they're apparently sort of things like drones going out above them. And, uh, you know, if they're out of their house for too far, they're getting fined a serious amount of money. And uh, it's pretty serious there, you know, in Australia. And they've had that second wave. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It will be a very, very different tour if you're locked in a hotel. Jimmy to 600, though, that was a special moment. That deserved a crowd in the ground. And what a performance for a paceman like him over 17 years to get to 600 test wickets, potential to add more as well. People calling him the greatest English bowler of all time and everything. That maybe is just over-egging the pudding a little bit, but he's special, isn't he? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm glad uh, there was a Yorkshireman like you, Badger, at the uh, end of that catch with Joe Root because he kept people kept fluffing it the day before, didn't they? I think Sidley oh. dropped one, I think Crawley dropped one, and then Stuart Broad dropped an absolute sitter. And I, I thought I thought Jimmy was going to blow his biscuits, <laughs> I really did. I just thought you could see the steam coming out of his ears. But no, it was fantastic. It was a good catch by Joe Root as well. It, it went quickly at him. Yeah, but I think 
you look at his record, I mean, I know they play more test cricket these days, but even so, in the current era, I mean, he's, he's the leading seamer of all time, isn't he, ever in test cricket, and you can't take that away from him. Absolutely incredible effort, isn't it? It's absolutely amazing. Before we go on to the batsmen, the bowlers, Chris Wokes, he has had a, a terrific summer as well. In English conditions, he's almost the first name on the team sheet, isn't he? You look at Wokes' figures this summer, he's had uh, 17 wickets at an average of 20.47. That's just a continuation of him averaging just over 20 in England. You take him overseas and he's averaging 50. <laughs> there's a there's an argument to say, first name on the team sheet in England, but you maybe don't put him on the in touring parties. Yeah, you had a number of bowlers like this back in the day. I mean, you had people like Mike Hendrick or Chris Old, who were very, very good bowlers in English conditions, but take them abroad and uh, they weren't so potent, were they? But, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think Chris Wokes has had a fantastic summer. I like him. Not sure about his haircut and beard at the moment. He's, he's looking a little bit like Jesus out there on the pitch, but uh, he's certainly performed a few miracles for England this summer. There's, there's a few people I've seen on Twitter that actually quite like it, I think. So he's uh, he's probably going to keep it a little bit longer. Going on to Joe Root as captain. He gets his knockers, his fair share of criticism. You know, no captain is perfect. Uh, everybody's going to make mistakes. There's a lot of gut feeling involved in captaincy as well as going through the kind of captain's manual of bringing a spinner on for one over before lunch and all the kind of usual things you see a captain do. My personal opinion on, on, on Rooty is that he's getting a lot right now. He's getting better. He's understanding his team. He's obviously got the respect of the team. And there's obviously a very good sort of vibe in that dressing room as well, which is obviously partly down to him. So that's that's a good thing. Two things that may be slightly negative with Joe Root as captain from my perspective. One is his, his captaincy of his spin bowlers. I don't think he's ever got the best out of the spinners that he's had at his disposal. Um, Adil Rashid's an obvious example. People are starting to talk about him coming back for the India um, series if that goes ahead. Um, but he, he often underbowls spinners. And there was one moment in the third test as well where Rooty had... Loads of runs on the board. They were going for a victory. They were seeking wickets. It didn't really matter if the, the batsman hit a couple of fours. And he had two batsmen around the, the bat for Don Bess. Root then brings himself into bowl and sticks three batsmen around. And he's the secondary spinner. That doesn't make too much sense to me. He needs to have a little bit more confidence, I think, in the bowlers that he picks. Yeah, it makes you wonder how much input that he actually has into selection, you know, and who, who's selecting that side. He, I mean, I, I felt that it was fairly obvious that he probably didn't trust Dominic Best that much. I mean, Dominic Best, I thought, was tidy enough without being threatening this summer. Um, but you saw on the last afternoon against Pakistan, and there was a chance there of grabbing a result. Runs were immaterial. You know, they still needed 200 or whatever to catch England up and make England bat again. But Joe Root only had the short leg. He didn't have a silly point in there as well. You'd have thought, crowd the bat. You know, have even a leg slip in as well for that one that turns and they they nibble it round the corner. But he didn't have that. But as you say, I do think Joe Root is getting better. And I think captaincy is always a work in progress. Whether you're the best captain in the world, I think you're always learning and every game is different. So I think it's always a work in progress. But I do think he's getting better. I mean, I saw him in his first game for Yorkshire against Middlesex. He took over the captaincy and Chris Rogers got a big one. He got a 240 that won the game. Middlesex chased about 470 to win the game on a flat Lord's deck. He came in for a lot of criticism from Yorkshire fans for his captaincy that day. And, you know, when he started for England, I, I wasn't quite sure about him. I mean, I saw the way he, you know, you look at certain batsmen and they look absolutely, like, invincible, you know, and there's no sort of real plan to get them out. Steve Smith being an example. 
um, Virat Kohli at Edgbaston a couple of years ago where Virat Kohli got a 150 and, you know, we, we just let him have a single, more or less, off the last ball of the over and he really marshaled the tail. I hate that. And, I hate know, I, I hate that at the end when they're bowling at the tail enders and they're giving the batsman, the recognised batsman. We saw it with Rizwan, didn't we, in the Pakistan series. They were giving him the runs and then trying to get at Abbas and Shaheen and, and Nazim. But Rizwan's wicket's just as worthwhile getting as everybody else's, isn't it? If you get Rizwan, you've got everybody. Well, Rizwan's at number seven, isn't he? he you know, he's, he's not Steve Smith or he's not Virat Kohli or he's not Kane Williamson or he's not Babar Azam. You know, he's uh, he's a number seven. He should be just trying try to get out just as much as the tail end. So, you know, I think there are certain aspects of Joe Root's captaincy I'm not a fan of. But I do think he's getting better and better. And, um, you know, there's no one else for the job, really, is there? So, you know, you might as well stick with him. And you might as well, you know, get behind him and uh, and back him. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? There, there is nobody else. There's not a standout candidate to take his place. I mean, Ben Stokes is the person that people bring up. But the one test match that England lost this summer was under Ben Stokes' leadership, wasn't it? So, you know, he hasn't really put his hand up and said, I, I should be England captain. And I don't think he particularly wants it, to be honest. He, he's quite happy sitting next to uh, Root at slip and, and, and giving his advice without the responsibility on his shoulders. Yeah, and I, I think you don't want to see, you don't want to detract from England's best player, do you? You don't want to see like Ben Stokes suddenly, you know, going to Bosom mode in 1980, 81 or whatever, you know. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think there's any point I mean, other candidates have been Josh Butler, who, you know, has had his place under threat for a lot of the summer. He's bounced back and he's got runs towards the end. But, you know, it's only sort of two, three tests ago. People were calling for Butler's head, calling for folks. The other one's, yeah, well, I'm, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you to a certain extent. And the other one's uh, Rory Burns, who's a sort of quite a mature chap. But again, his place isn't sort of nailed down in the side, is it? Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. slateapp.co.uk. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because England have gone through a summer where they've picked up two series wins against two decent sides. Um, they've played pretty well throughout. There's obviously been days where it's not been quite right, but you know, you're never going to get a team giving out perfect results all the way through. But it's almost like, I mean, days of social media, being captain of England, you're going to see more criticism than you've ever seen before. But it's almost like the public have to have somebody to sort of stick the pins in. And Rory Burns has suddenly become that person. Rory Burns, until a, a couple of months ago, was nailed on as opener. He was doing okay. He was averaging mid-30s. We'd have absolutely snapped somebody's arm off for that a, f- a couple of years ago. He's done all right. He's had a bad series against the uh, the Pakistanis. He'll come back and come back good again. And he, you know, he needs people to get behind him rather than just be launching into him saying, well, he's surplus now. We need to go X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think with Burns, I mean, I thought against Australia last year, he got 100 early on. He then got bounced out. He, they started peppering him with a short ball. Yep. And he learned how to work that out. And I thought he was good enough to test cricket because he actually he got it, didn't he? He actually sort of went away, worked on his game and, and actually had, had a you know uh, an idea of how to sort of play test cricket and get around it. Um, this summer, I'm not so sure. I think there's a hell of a lot that can go wrong with Burns' game because it's so idiosyncratic, isn't it? And it's uh, I think there's, if it's not, everything's in the right place, I think he doesn't click. And uh, I think there's 
there's maybe possibly too much that could go wrong with his game. There's a lot of moving parts with Rory Burns' game. When, the, when they're all moving in sync, he's a very good player, isn't he? And he just needs to work on that, I think, before uh, before his next uh, test appearance. Um, just going back to Root as captain, the other maybe a little bit of a gripe I've got is his use of Joffre Archer. I mean, everybody talks about Joffre Archer, and if Joffre Archer isn't taking a hatful of wickets and he isn't bowling at 96 miles an hour, people are querying whether he should be in the side or not. Joffre Archer at 86 miles an hour is still a very, very good bowler in Test match cricket. But I just, just noticed, particularly in the last couple of um, Test matches that he's played, they've used him, he, he, they've put him around the wicket, they've put him to bowl that short kind of leg theory. They've tried to use him in a different way than, than he's had most of his success. I listened to Dizzy talking about him the other day, who's obviously coached him at Sussex, saying that he's at his best when he's ploughing that little furrow outside the uh, the off stump. He's going for the top of the off bale and he's just probing like any any normal bowler. The sort of Jimmy Anderson line, but with maybe a little bit more pace. And maybe England need to kind of go back to that and think about how they're going to get the most out of him. Yeah, it's bizarre. It was sort of like... Uh... You know, the way Jardine used Larworth, wasn't it? Back in the body line series, in a way. You know, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, that, that area outside off stump is where he needs to be. And I think uh, uh, he, he's, a, he's a bloody good bowler. And, you know, even at sort of 86, 87, what he bowls is a heavy ball. He hits the splice of the bat. And, um, you know, I think he's, uh, he's, he's a better bowler than just, uh, you know, a bullet to go around the wicket. That was the first of the Ask Badger questions, actually, because that was Ben on, on Twitter that put that about Archer in the Ashes looks like a different bowler to Archer this summer and why is he less threatening? And I think, I think it's just basically because he's been used slightly different. Everybody analyses everybody else in world cricket as well. So they've got, they've got a little bit more prepared for facing Joffre Archer and they know what he's capable of. So they're ready for him a little bit more. So he needs to think about how, how he can improve, but how he can be more consistent. And I, I think, Dan, I'd, I'd actually use Joffre Archer as my strike bowler. I'd stick him in, I mean, particularly in the Ashes and particularly in you know, India and places where a bit of pace might get you a wicket where you're struggling to get one. It's just bowl him in three or four over stints and say, Joffre, just bowl your heart out for, for 20 minutes here and get me a wicket. And just use him like that and then put him out to pasture for a bit and then bring him back a bit later. Yeah, I've got another theory as well in the fact that when he hit Steve Smith on the head and then he hit Labashane on the head, didn't he, the next day, his bouncer wasn't actually that short. It was, uh, you know, it was actually sort of more of a skiddy bouncer. Whereas I think now his bouncer is shorter and it's sort of batsmen see it a lot earlier. Whereas I think sort of against Australia, his bouncer was further up and hitting people on the head from further up, which is it's more difficult to duck or to weave it. Um, as opposed to, you know, the uh, the shorter ball, which you can see, and uh, duck under it. Let's go all the way to the top of the order. Arnand on the hashtag Ask Badger questions. He asks, Sibley or Burns in India? And should we play Butler as a batsman and not as a wicketkeeper? We'll get onto the Butler bit of that in just a second. But in terms of when you go into the subcontinent, neither Sibley or Burns have yeah, caught fire this summer, really. I mean, Sibley's had one century, but uh, and a couple of other good knocks, but has also got out cheaply a few times as well. Openers are going to do that, and we need to be patient, I think, with that combination at the top of the order. But if you're going to the subcontinent, India and Sri Lanka, the potential next two tours for England, do you go for a horses-for-courses pick, somebody like Keaton Jennings? I've seen people talking about moving Zach Crawley up the order to make him open, which I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, you know, England have been crying out for a number three for a while. Zach Crawley looks like he might be that man, so let's, let's just leave him there and let him let him do that job. But do we play both Burns and Sibley in India, or do we look for somebody that's maybe a little bit more coherent in his play against spin? Because Burns and Sibley... 
don't strike me as necessarily people that be queuing up to play spinners in the nets if uh, if they had the choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we, we discussed Burns and we said about sort of the, the many facets to his game, haven't we, and, and what can go wrong there. But Sibley, if, you know, if you bowled at one side of the wicket to Sibley, I don't, I'm not sure he'd score that many runs. You know, if you if you bowl him round leg stump, he'll murder you all day. And uh, who was the guy from Essex we had like that a few years ago? Westley. Yeah. You know, and he's Westley's sort of one of those players that works at leg side all the time, and Sidney's the same. But he doesn't seem to score that much outside of off stump. And I think if you bowl the fifth line to Sibley, I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he'd get him out, because I don't think he'd nibble at it. I think he's got the concentration powers not to nibble at it, but I don't think he'd score many runs either, and it wouldn't be that good a game of cricket. But who else is there? You look around the counties and... Uh, you know, Daniel Bell Drummond looks like a decent player at Kent, and Nick Gubbins at Middlesex, perhaps. But there's not a lot around the counties. And uh, Keaton Jennings is one of those names who plays spin very well, and he's got a hundred in the subcontinent. But he's had a lot of chance. He's had like sort of two chances already. Do you bring him back for a third chance? You know, India, although the subcontinent, and you've got to play spin well. They've got a decent pace attack as well. People yeah. like Mr. Boomerah will have him nicking off for fun, I think. It's the first time for a long time, isn't it, that India, it's not just all about spin when you go there, because as you said, they've got three pacemen. You've got Mohammed um, Shami, you've got Jasprit Bumrah, you've got Bhuvneshwar Kumar. And they've got a number of pacemen now who are world-class now, who can get players out with a new ball and probably beyond that. Yeah, they're a good all-round side. I mean, you know, back in the day, India were sort of, you know, about Tendulkar, weren't they? And about, you know, facing Kumble or Harbour Gem, perhaps, and... You had to see them off, and uh, you know they're a poor fielding side. Now they've actually turned into a decent fielding side, and uh, and that's one thing about Pakistan as well. I thought this was the best Pakistani fielding side I've seen for a long, long totally. time, yeah. and they've made real sort of steps in that area. I, I thought Pakistan were quite impressive. I think, I mean, I, again, social media, but a lot of Pakistanis were getting quite irate sometimes during this uh, this last few weeks about their Pakistani side. But I think. Yeah, just hold your horses a second. This Pakistan side looks pretty decent to me. You've got some really young, um, fast bowlers that are going to only get better. Um, Rizwan himself looks like a really good wicketkeeper batsman. There's a lot of pluses in that Pakistan side. I think the future is very bright for them. Yeah, I do as well. And uh, Yassir Shah, uh, it's it's a thing of beauty, isn't it? Watching a leg spinner, it's like, you know, it's not a Rembrandt or a perfectly poured Guinness. It's one of those like works of art. <laughs> and uh, to see him... Holding his leg spin with all these variations, the flipper, the Google, you know, everything there. I, I thought it was I thought it was absolutely beautiful to watch. I heard nothing you said after the perfectly pulled Guinness comment. I was just I was just dreaming of a perfectly <laughs> pulled Guinness. But anyway, oh yeah. I I would love one of them. Let's go back into the, 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 the batting. I mean Joe Root, we talked about the bio bubble and the problem that Jimmy Anderson said about being cocooned in that bio bubble and being in that hotel looking out the window and just seeing the cricket ground. For Joe Root as captain, that's almost like multiplied by two or three, isn't it? Because you've got all the responsibilities of captain. You're probably going to take that home anyway in normal circumstances, but absolutely no escape from the pressure. You're going to go to sleep thinking about your tactics. You're going to wake up thinking about your tactics. I think that might have actually been a contributory factor to the fact that he averaged 37.33 during the summer, um, high score of 68. We didn't see the Joe Root that we know is there that can score a big 100 and really win a game. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, he's got a newborn baby at home as well. Yep. Um, so he's probably got more sleep than if he'd have gone home. <laughs> but, you know, it's very difficult being away from your family, especially with a newborn and, 
you know, his missus probably been giving him a bit of earache as well, hasn't she? And, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult. But, uh, you know, that comes with the role as England captain. And, uh, but, it's, um, it's like we've always you know, said all the way through the summer, the, if this had happened sort of 20 years ago, COVID and lockdowns and, and obviously bio bubbles and all that kind of stuff, how much harder it would have been then? Because obviously I'm talking to you over Zoom now. I mean, Rooty, I would imagine, has spent quite a lot of time on Skype or Zoom or whatever his preferred mechanism is to talk to his um, little son to have a look at his new baby and talk to his missus. Definitely. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't think we even had WhatsApp 20 years ago, did we? It was uh, texting off a Nokia 5511, which uh, you probably have to charge up about once every two months, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, things have changed. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully now you get some proper sort of family time because I think it is important to actually uh, detach yourself from cricket, especially if you're in that sort of all-encompassing sort of scenario of, of being England captain where... You are probably thinking about the game 100%. You're thinking about it all the time, and I think it's hugely important to switch off. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.